Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, are we ready for the word? Someone say yes. We are <laughs> concluding, hallelujah, a series that we have been in for a really long time, um, somewhere between five and heck of weeks. And uh, today we are going to conclude our Bewitched series where we've been studying through the book of Galatians. Uh, and if you're joining us for the first time, I will do my best to catch you quickly up to speed so that you're on the same page as the rest of us. Uh, the book of Galatians is a short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young church in the region of Galatia. Uh, as he begins to correct some wrong thinking, they find themselves in a, in a bit of a theological crisis and they've bought into some bad theology. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to correct their mentality, to correct their theology and bring them back to the gospel that he planted the church on. Um, our key text, which is where we get the word bewitched from, is in Galatians chapter three, verses one through three, where he writes, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course you didn't. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting these new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to be perfect by your own human effort? His frustration was found in the fact that when he planted this church, he planted it under the pure gospel of grace, that we are saved by grace through faith plus nothing else. I love Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we have faith in our heart, then we will be saved. It's a simple belief in the finished work of the cross that saves us and nothing else. And that was the gospel he planted uh, in, in the region of Galatia. But after he disappeared and moved on to the rest of his missionary journey, some Jews came in and started to preach a different gospel and they began to teach that it wasn't just grace that saved you, it was actually grace plus a whole lot of other stuff, a litany of man-made rules and regulations and other stuff that you had to live by in order to remain saved. And so Paul, in his aggressive, corrective nature, comes in and he writes this letter and he's like, guys, that's bogus, that's not true. It's all about grace, just simply trusting in the finished work of the cross, come back to that foundation. And as he reminded the Galatian church, we've now been reminded for about 10 weeks in this series that it is all about grace. It's all about believing in what Jesus has done. Uh, and today, as we conclude, uh, we're going to look at one additional truth that Paul uh, begins to hammer on a little bit here at the conclusion of his letter. And fair warning, he is rather aggressive and passionate about this, so much so that he actually changes the font of the letter as he gets into this section of it. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Galatians chapter six, verse 11. He says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words with my own hand. Yeah, notice that I cap, oh, come on, man. <laughs> notice that I capitalized that sentence when we put it on the screen there. Notice what large letters I use. This dude just hit caps lock on his MacBook, all right? He is getting loud. Some exclamation points, a couple of emojis. He is very passionate about this. And how many know, and we were just talking about this in our baptism area before church started today. How many know when you start capitalizing things, it completely changes the meaning of a sentence, right? Anyone ever get caught in that like text messaging thing where you're like, I, I promise I didn't mean it like that, but, but you said it like that. You capitalized and you didn't put an emoji in it. Is it just me? Okay. So I'll give you a couple of examples just in case you don't understand what we're talking about here. Uh, put these on the screen real quick. Um, 
No, uh, there we go. What are you doing versus what are you doing? You see how that changes? One is generally like inquisitive. The other one's very accusational. Like you're an idiot. What are you doing right now? How about the next one here? Hey, where are you at? Versus where are you? In other words, you should have been here like 30 minutes ago. Like some of our dream team this morning when David was texting them, where are you right now? I'm just kidding. I like her versus I like her. That's one's like, hey, she's cool. The other one's like, yo, <laughs> let me get them digits. Big difference when you capitalize some letters. And when you capitalize something, you are conveying through your message, I am incredibly passionate about what I'm saying right now. This is important information. I need you to get this. I need you to hear the tone in my voice. And I think as we go to this key text today, as he concludes the, this letter, we need to remember these are all capital letters. This is something that the apostle is incredibly passionate about because he wants us and the church in Galatia to get this before he says, c'est la vie, okay? So Galatians chapter six, verse 14, this is what he has written in capital letters. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Now, I'm going to give you a title in just a second, but before I do this, I need you to understand how provocative this language is. This, this, is, a, this is an incredibly aggressive statement. In, in these days, people did not casually throw around the phrase crucifixion. I know we talk about it often because, of course, Christ was crucified and it's become a, a centerpiece of our faith. But in this day, the torture device of the cross was something that you did not even mention in conversational settings, especially in a written setting where it was put on paper permanently and someone might read it back. In fact, the, the, the nature of crucifixion was so gruesome that even when it was the punishment for somebody's, uh, well, not sin, but their crime, uh, the, the people would say in, in Greek, abori inflicti suspendito, which means to hang, hang him on the unlucky tree. They didn't even use the word crucifixion. And yet Paul here, forsaking all politeness, he uses this phrase multiple times in this text. I have crucified my interests to the world. I have been crucified with Christ, he says earlier in Galatians. He throws this phrase around very casually despite its taboo nature because he wants us to see the severity of what he's saying right now. So once we understand how severe this statement is, we will understand why I have given this message this title. I wanna call this chat today, Dead to Me. <laughs> dead to Me. Come on, turn to the person next to you. I'm just kidding, don't say <laughs> Dead to Me. Uh, let's, let's pray and we're gonna get into it. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for, um, God, what you're doing in the house right now. It is just an honor and a pleasure to be a part of the family of God in these days. And as we go to your word and we conclude this series uh, this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that the, the full nature of everything that you've shown us over the last 10 weeks, uh, the, the, the full nature of this concluding statement from the Apostle Paul would rest on our hearts, that we would experience what he's talking about here to not boast in anything we bring to the table, but to boast in Christ and to say, my interest in this world has truly been crucified because I want Jesus more. We love you today. We pray this in your name. Amen, amen, amen. So those words, dead to me, are, are equally as taboo as perhaps this word crucifixion in Paul's letter. 
Those are not words you throw around casually in a conversation. Uh, if, if the relationship or the friendship or the family situation or the business partnership, if it is disintegrated to the point of bringing in these words, you know that things have gotten pretty bad. You have to reach deep down into the bag of things to say if you're ready to put the period on the relationship, the nail in the coffin, the, the swan song on the relationship to say, hey, you are dead to me. Those are pretty serious words. But, but there is one setting where those words might feel incredibly appropriate. And that, of course, is in the setting of a really ugly, bad breakup. Come on, let's just check this morning. How many have ever been through a bad breakup before? I'm not talking like, hey, it's not you, it's me. Let's just be friends. And then the friendship doesn't work out. I'm talking more about like, I don't want to see you. Don't mention their name in my presence. I unfollow on all social platforms. I'm going to a different coffee shop because I don't want to see them any longer. Come on, anyone had one of those kind of breakups before? Yeah, okay. My hand is up. And I debated whether or not I should share this story with my wife sitting in the front row, but I got permission from her this week. So I want you to know that everything I'm about to say is from her permission, okay? I'm not sharing new information here on the stage. So unfortunately, Robin was not the only person that I ever dated. Uh, we've been married now for 17 years. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Uh, but I've shared before from the stage that, that we had one of those like on again, off again kind of relationships. Uh, we were, at times I wanted to be with her, she didn't want to be with me and, and, and vice versa. But deep down, both of us knew, I'm gonna look at you as I say this. Deep down, I, both of us knew that we really wanted to be with one another. We knew that we were gonna end up together. In fact, there was this one time, uh, right after cell phones came out, I had a Nokia. Anybody remember those Nokias from back in the day? Yeah. I had it in my back pocket and I was sitting in my buddy's car and my phone did a butt dial and it left a message on her answering machine. Anyone old enough to remember what an answering machine is? Okay, the little tape on the inside, yeah. So she gets home and she listens to the message on the answering machine and it's me telling my buddy, even though I'm dating somebody else at the time, hey, I just know that Robin and I are gonna end up together and we're gonna get married and like, I just knew and she just knew that that was what was gonna happen. And it was during one of these on again scenarios uh, that I found myself dating somebody else, but she wanted to be with me and I wanted to be with her even though I was with somebody else. I know, super scandalous. <laughs> Uh, and I was dating this girl that was, um, she was a little bit older than me. And, and I think it's because she liked the idea of like controlling me, you know. Not that all older women dating younger guys are into control. Just throwing that out there, okay. But she liked the idea of control. And so it was a massive blow to her control nature when I, the younger guy, said to her, hey, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Actually, it's Robin and I don't want to be with you any longer. <laughs> Uh, it probably didn't help that Robin was in the background playing that Monica song, The Boy Is Mine, with Brandy, you know, just. <laughs> oh, the 90s, all the good music. And after I shared this uh, devastating news to the control freak, uh, she began to vehemently reprimand me for a number of hours, and she concluded our conversation with those fateful words. Your dead to me. <laughs> but then she followed up those words with a delivery on my doorstep. And uh, some of you might be familiar with this. The breakup box. <laughs> this was placed, yes, on my doorstep with the collection. By the way, this is not the true collection of items. Those have since been burned, just to be clear. 
But with the collection of memories and items that had been acquired during the course of our relationship that she knew, if retained, would ultimately allow her to go down a trip, memory lane, a moment of weakness, say some things, think some things that perhaps she didn't, she didn't want to do. And so she left all of those items on my doorstep. This is the universal sign that the relationship is over, there is no interest any longer, and you are dead to me. Anyone ever gotten one of these on your doorstep before? Okay, a few of us, hallelujah, okay. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, this is the moment we are witnessing, or at least the recollection, recollection of a moment that we're witnessing. Paul, in no uncertain terms, is saying, the world is dead to me. I have broken everything off. I want nothing to do with it any longer. I have everything that I want in Jesus. I have no reason to go back. I have left a collection of who I used to be in a box on the doorstep of the world, and I am moving on. He says, again, with aggressive language here in Galatians 6.14, because of Jesus, my interest in this world has been crucified and this world's interest in me has also died. There's no lingering feelings. We're not calling each other any longer. We're not hanging out any longer. We're not gonna see if this thing works out later on down the road. We are done. In marriage, the phrase we would use is, Leave and cleave. Anyone heard that one before? Leave and cleave. I am leaving my old life. I'm leaving all of my old relationships. I'm leaving my family and I am cleaving to my spouse. We are now one new creation in Christ. I don't want anything to do with who I was before. But here's what I've noticed and maybe you've noticed this as well in your journey of faith. Many people want the cleaving without the leaving. Everybody wants all that you can find in Jesus and the joy and the fulfillment and the prosperity and the blessing and the healing, but we still want to have this side chick called the world. Can you say side chick in church? I don't know if you can. <laughs> My bad, if anyone's offended. No, I don't, I'm not taking it back. Okay. We still want to have this relationship on the side with the world, but we also want everything with Jesus. But Paul is making it clear, there is no such thing as duality in Christ. You cannot have a divided heart in Christ. You don't get to cleave unless you are willing to leave. And so in an effort to ensure that we have truly left, that the world is dead to us and we have now united ourselves with Christ, I have a collection of items in this box today that I would like to pull out and share some truths, some things that we need to leave behind if we are truly going to be united with him. But before I do that, let me offer this disclaimer. When Paul says the world, he is not speaking of people, okay? He's not talking about the people of this world. I think the Christians of society need to be reminded of this right now. Christianity is not a matter of finding a new bubble of people that we hang out with while we sit in the security of our salvation and then we reject everybody else in the world that doesn't think like us or doesn't believe like us and say, well, this is my new crew and you're, the rest of you are dead to me. This is not a people thing. Our whole purpose is people. The reason we're on this planet is to share the gospel with those that don't yet know Christ so that they can come to know this saving faith that we've experienced. So this is not a people thing. When Paul says the world, he uses this Greek word cosmos. And if you joined us for our um, Am I Going to Heaven series, we studied the book of 1 John, that's a familiar phrase to you. Uh, it, it speaks of the systems, the ways, the customs of this world. Uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
Those are the systems of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So to say that I've left the breakup box with the world, the cosmos out there, and I don't want anything to do with her any longer, what you're saying is, I don't live by the lust of my eyes any longer. I'm not trying to get what I can get. I'm all about giving now that I've found myself in Christ. I don't live by the lust of the flesh. It's not what I want and my plans and my future. I know I live according to the will of God. Whatever he wants is where I'm going. And the pride of life, I don't find my, my identity or my pride and my accolades or my accomplishments. No, as Paul said here in Galatians 6, the only thing I'm gonna boast about is the fact that Christ has died on my behalf. I boast in him and him alone and him crucified. Nothing else is, on my, uh, is making me who I am. So, so to be clear, we're not talking about people. We're talking about the systems, the customs of this world. But if we are truly going to be capable of making the same statements he made here, that cosmos girl has got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, <laughs> time for her to go. So let's get into this box a little bit. The, uh, the first item that you might find in one of these breakup boxes are the photos, the, the memories. For the record, Robin and I have not broken up, although these are a number of photos of us. We are very happily married, okay, just to be clear. She did not leave this in the doorstep of my house yesterday. <laughs> Some photos, the memories. And not just remembering the past, but romanticizing the past. The idea of selective amnesia. I'm going to remember the good stuff while I can conveniently seem to forget all of the bad stuff about that old relationship with the world. N nobody takes pictures of the fights. No one turns around the camera in the middle of an argument and says, selfie. No one does that. Nobody takes a picture of, you know, the, the, the trauma and the pain. No, we take pictures of the highlights. And if we're not careful and we cling to some of those highlights, we might forget that there was a whole lot of other stuff that was traumatizing and painful in the midst of that season. Sometimes I talk to people who, who've come to Jesus and they begin to share their testimony with me and they're like, man, you know, before I met Jesus, <laughs> I was partying, I was drinking Dom, I was driving expensive cars, a different girl every night. And, but then I came to Christ, you know, I'm on the straight and narrow now. And I'm like, well, which one do you enjoy more? Because <laughs> it sounds like you like the other life a whole lot more than you like the Jesus part of life right now. Like, that, that's how a lot of people treat their testimony. They, they romanticize the past. They think longingly about yesterday, forgetting all the pain. We do this. We do this sometimes as believers. We forget that when we were in relationship with the world, we were depressed and we were anxious and we were empty and there was nothing that could truly fill us. And even though we gave our best of love to our past, it never reciprocated. It never gave us that love in return. It left us empty and depressed and anxious and fearful we forget that there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of highlights. There was a lot of lowlights. But if we're not careful, we pick up these pictures and we begin to thumb through the highlights, forgetting the pain of the past. And you know when this happens? You know when people tend to take these photos out? Often it's in moments of crisis. Crisis allows us to think back romantically on the past. Nobody longs for the new job until, or the old job until the current boss starts to rub you the wrong way. Nobody starts daydreaming about the ex-boyfriends and girlfriends until the marriage is on the rocks. Nobody longs for the coping mechanisms of their past until the weight of their current problem seems unbearable. 
suddenly the crisis causes us to long for the very things that we left. Uh, most of us will be familiar with the story of Israel in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. And the Israelites found themselves pulling some pictures out, didn't they? As they left Egypt and they made their way into the promised land, God sent Moses and after 400 years of slavery, he delivered these people who had begged God to set them free from their oppressors. And Moses comes and some 2 million Israelites make their way out and just a couple of weeks into their journey in the desert on their way to a land that God had promised them, a land that is flowing with milk and honey and freedom and blessing, they start thinking about Egypt. They start thinking about the place they came from. There's a lack of water and a lack of food and they're like, Man, back in Egypt, we had like, like chicken, like filet. We had like bacon. No, they were Jewish. They didn't have bacon. Uh, <laughs> we had enough water and enough food to spare. And here we are in the middle of this desert. Would God bring us out here to die? Man, I wish I was back in Egypt. Conveniently forgetting that along with all that Meat and water came chains and whipping, oppression, the murder of their children. No, but I want to be back in Egypt. What is that? It's romanticizing the past. It's forgetting all the bad stuff and just thinking about those few moments of reprieve. But as much as we like to point the blame and or point the finger and blame the Israelites for what they did. Oh, I would never do that. We do that, don't we? We all got a little desert wandering Israelite on the inside of us. We all do that. We all think back longingly to those moments. But we know it's a lie. Come on, we know that's not what we want. We know that the life that we've found in Jesus is so much better, even in the midst of trial, than the life that we left. I would rather die a free man in the desert than die a slave in my past. I would rather be a guy who has left some stuff on the doorstep of the world than live in some romanticized reality, some placebo of my past. No, I'd rather, I'd rather go through trial with Jesus than end up a slave in where I came from. And I think all of us would want that. So then the question becomes, how? How do we ensure that we don't pick up those photos and start romanticizing our past? Well, the same guy that writes to us in Galatians also, also writes to us in uh, Colossians chapter three. And this is the antidote. He says, since you've been raised to this new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Set your minds on things above, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. You died to the cosmos. You're no longer with her. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. If present pain, if your current crisis is causing you to look back, this is the antidote right here. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your minds on the things that are above. In other words, you need to maintain an eternal perspective. Instead of looking back at where you came from or even where you're at right now, we need to look forward to where we're heading. We need to set our gaze on eternity. Back to the Israelites. The reason these guys begin to think back upon Egypt was because all they saw was sand. All they saw was the desert. The desert started to get into their hearts and in their minds and they're looking around. They're like, this doesn't look very preferable. And because of their current crisis, 
They begin to long for the very place that they left. But if for just a moment, instead of looking at the sand, if they could have set their gaze on the promised land, If they could have remembered that God wasn't just calling them out of somewhere to leave them in a desert, but he was calling them through a desert and to bring them into a preferable place called the promised land, then they would not have longed for the place that they left. They would long for the place that they were going. Come on, let me remind every single one of us today, this ain't it. These are not the good days. The best days are in fact ahead of us still. This life is but a breath. Eternity is real. We are gonna spend our eternity one place or another. And all of us who have called upon the name of Jesus are headed to a promised land where there is no sickness, there is no pain, there is no lack, there is no depression. Everything has been taken care of and we get to live for eternity in the presence of Jesus. And so if you find yourself in a desert season right now, don't look around at the sand. Don't let it get into your heart. Set your gaze, set your heart on eternal things. Begin to think upon heaven. And when we do that, these light and momentary issues that we're facing become nothing more than a reminder that this is not it. This is not where it ends for us. No, we've already got a promised land spoken for. We can't think romantically upon the past. No, we're gonna set our gaze on the future. We're gonna set our gaze on what Christ has stored up for us in heaven. So those photos, they gotta go in the box. You can't think back and long on the past. We have to long for eternity instead. Now, every self-respecting breakup box also has another item in it. One of these. the uh, oversized stained sweatshirt of your former lover. (laughs) Hopefully this is the only clothing that they need to return to you. Come on somebody, okay? (laughs) Fornication, all right. (laughs) So in scripture, Clothing is generally synonymous with identity. Usually you can see this analogous relationship between clothing and not just who somebody is, but whose somebody is. If you were walking around with the sweatshirt of your significant other, your relationship would be identifiable to other people. They would know who you were with based on what you were wearing. And such is the case in scripture. Um, Joseph had a coat of many colors that identified him as his father's favorite son. Uh, Tamar had a a garment that uh, allowed her to be seen by everybody in her city as the princess, the daughter of the king. The the priests and Pharisees, they wore certain garments that identified them as men of God. Generally, clothing can be associated with identity. But when you come to Christ, you have been given a brand new identity. You are not who you used to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You are not the same person that you used to be. You're not the same thinker that you used to be. No, you are a new creation. You have been made new. And if clothing is synonymous with identity, then that means when you came to Jesus, you also got a new wardrobe out of the deal. You shouldn't be wearing the same old, tired clothes any longer. The clothes that identify you with your past. And I'm not talking about tube tops and scandalous stuff. I'm talking about in the spirit, just to be clear. Let me prove it to you. Romans 13, 
The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds, your old identity, like dirty clothes. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Colossians 3. Now... You're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. You've been given a new wardrobe. When we come to Jesus, we are no longer supposed to be wearing the oversized sweatshirt from Cosmo's closet any longer. We have a new identity. We got a robe of righteousness that we're putting on. We got shoes of the gospel of peace. Come on, you got that Gucci belt of truth that you're rocking right now. You're looking fly, you're looking fresh because you've got a whole new wardrobe in Christ. And yet so many people hold on, cling to their old garb, their old garments. They, they, they keep this one in the closet for a day where they just wanna sit in their emotions, sit in their feelings and begin to remind themselves of who they truly are. But that's not who you are anymore. You are not that old creation. You've been given a new identity. And Paul tells us exactly how we are to take this sweatshirt, throw it into the box, never to be seen again. And my wife talked briefly about this a few weeks ago, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but it's very important, especially in a church as young as ours, that we remind ourselves of how it is we shed the old identity and we take upon our new identity in Christ. In this very same book, in the book of Galatians chapter three, he, uh, Paul says this, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have now received this new garment. The main way we shed the old sweatshirt and the old identity is by getting into the waters of baptism. Uh, let me, I know we say this all the time and I'm a broken record and I apologize for that. But listen, we need to remember this. Some significant stuff takes place in the waters of baptism. When you go under the waters in baptism, that old version of you is put to death and a new creation comes up out of the waters. Your old sin nature no longer has a hold on you and you have this ability to live in freedom in Christ. As it says in Romans chapter six, you are no longer a slave to the sin, but now you have been given permission to live a new life. I love that language, permission granted. You didn't have it before, but because of what takes place in the waters of baptism, the chains are severed, the cords are gone, and you now have permission to walk this life out in freedom with Christ. It is in the baptism box of breakup that you shed the old sweatshirt, the old identity, and you receive your new identity in Christ. So for those that are still waiting for that moment, can I just plead with you for 30 seconds? Stop waiting. Do not wait to put on your new clothes. Do not wait to take advantage of this new identity. Don't buy into that broken religious mindset that you gotta figure some stuff out and get yourself free before you go into the waters of baptism. That is the same broken religious mindset that Paul is combating the entire book of Galatians. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The freedom you're looking for is, doesn't come before baptism, it is on the other side of those waters because Jesus sets you free when you unite yourself with his crucifixion and you raise again to new life. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you've not yet been water baptized, stop waiting. What are you waiting for? Lay hold of the freedom 
and the new identity that's available to you in Christ. It's yours for the taking. Last one. Is that funny? I don't know it's funny. (laughs) Hold on, I got a text message. Okay, I'll call him back. Everybody knows if you're truly ready to break up with somebody, if they're truly dead to you, you got to delete the number, right? Like you can't hold on to the contact after the breakup because in a moment of weakness, you're going to send that desperation text. You're going to leave that desperation voicemail and you're going, why did I do that? So to make sure that you don't go down a road, you shouldn't go down, you got to delete. And I know this is a phone. You don't actually have to give the person your phone. Like every analogy breaks down at some point, but you need to delete the number. For the sake of this piece of our box, I want to call this the option. The option to go back. And if we're truly going to leave this box on the door of Cosmo's house, then we need to eliminate the options. We need to eliminate any option to go back to who we were before. We need to burn the ships. We need to barbecue the plow. We need to eliminate the options. Years ago, I was on a plane and um, I was coming home from the East Coast and uh, I was so bored that I uh, took that little magazine out of the seat in front of me that the airline provides to you and I started thumbing through the magazine. Things that get pretty bad when you get to that magazine. You're like, there's nothing left to watch. Uh, but as I was going through the magazine, I stumbled upon an article uh, that was really interesting to me. It was a, an astronaut who was talking to this journalist about uh, his trip to space and how uh, he walked out of the aircraft and onto the moon for the first time and was just trying to give everybody a picture of what that might feel like. And I thought it was interesting, so I started reading it. And as I got into this article, the astronaut began to make some statements that I thought, oh my goodness, those are so powerful. I'm going to hold on to those for a moment where... I need to make this decision or I need to encourage somebody to make this decision to eliminate the options. Uh, He began to talk about the fact that inside of an astronaut's suit, um, there is uh, a governor, a metric that allows them to know when they've gotten too far away from the ship. Uh, Apparently, there's a limited supply of oxygen inside of an astronaut's suit. And if uh, that astronaut gets too far from their aircraft, their suit begins to alert them that if they go any further, they might run out of oxygen and not be able to make it back to the aircraft. So these alarms start going off and they know that if those alarms go off, they need to turn around and go back to where they came from. But he made this statement. He said, if I ignore that warning, then I step over an invisible line of no return. And at that moment, I become the product of space. Space owns me. I no longer get, back, get to go back to earth I'm owned by space. Can I ask you today, whose possession are you? Who owns you? Nobody. (laughs) Does the world still own you? Or are you the possession of Christ today? Have you crossed over an invisible line in the spirit where you've said, Jesus, you have all of me? Or are you still waiting because there's some alarms going off like, ah, I'm not sure if I'm ready to surrender all of it to Jesus. Have you eliminated all of the options to go back? And maybe you'd say, hey, Tim, yes, I have. I I prayed that prayer. It was at the end of the service. I said, Jesus, come into my heart. And I filled out the card and I did the baptism thing. Okay, we crossed over that line. But how many know that this journey of faith comes complete with a lot of lines that Jesus asks us to cross over? 
The call to follow Jesus is not a one-time event. It is a daily decision. And there's a lot of lines that you'll come up against in this journey of faith. And Jesus will say, are you willing to step over that line? Relational lines, racial lines, political lines, financial lines, preference lines. There's a lot of lines that we've been asked to step over. And maybe we've stepped over the initial one, but we're not quite sure if we're ready to step over some of the others. And if that is where you're at in this journey today, I wanna do my best in our last couple of seconds here to appeal to you, to motivate you in the same fashion that the apostle motivates the Galatians. Here's what he says, and as I say this and we conclude, the band can come. He says in Galatians chapter six, verse 14, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Because of that cross. Last thought. We cross because of his cross. We cross over those lines because of his cross. Paul knew that the only motivation that would cause somebody to step over those lines was the motivation of witnessing the love of Jesus on that cross. When I look at that cross, he says, when I, when I see the love that was displayed for me, when I see how his hands and his feet were pierced for my transgressions, when I see how his back was whipped so that I could be made whole, when I see how he took a crown of thorns so that I could have peace, when I see how he was beaten beyond recognition so that I could find freedom, when I see his love, I don't need any other options. I don't need to, to worry about what my past offered me or where I came from. I am captivated by his love. And when I see that love, I can easily take this box and drop it on the doorstep. Listen, the apostle comes and he, he tries to motivate us the same way he motivates the Galatians. He says, see Jesus' love. Look at his cross. Receive his grace. Make a decision. Is he the lover you want or are you gonna stay with cosmos? But once you make that decision, do not look back to where you came from. Set your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith. And never look back. And when you do that, you can make the same statement he did. I have crucified my interests in this world. I don't want anything to do with her and guess what? She don't want anything to do with me any longer either. It's clear, I have moved on and I'm with Jesus now. And so today, I guess I have two questions. The question for those who have made the initial decision to step over that line is, what still needs to be in this box? What have you withheld? What are you still clinging to from that old relationship? The Holy Spirit is making an invitation today. Hey, just put it in the box, drop it off. I have something so much greater for you. In fact, I wanna pray that over us as we conclude and then I'll pose the second question. Father, thank you for the invitation today. Thank you for the invitation to step over some lines. And just even as we, we sit here for a second, just let me ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What is he whispering to your heart? What is that line that maybe you've been unwilling to cross? Just tell him today, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to step over. I'm ready to commit that to you.
Thank you for your love. Thank you that you don't push us over lines, God. But you stand on the other side with a hand outstretched saying, come on, come on over. I got something good for you. And for the rest of the room that would say, okay, I'm not there yet. Maybe the decision you need to make is to step over that initial line with Christ. Maybe you need a bigger box because you got to fit your whole body in that thing. Jesus, I'm ready to commit everything to you today. And as I was praying this week for those that need to make that decision today, I, I saw this image of an astronaut, just like the one I shared with, who's making his way or her way away from the ship. And as they do, all of those alarms start going off in their suit. Don't do it. Don't step over that line. Don't go any further because if you do, people are gonna think this, your family's gonna think that, you're gonna have to give this up. And there's all these alarms going off maybe in your head today about why you're not ready to step over that line. I think the Holy Spirit would say to you, hey, don't worry about all that. I got it taken care of. Just become the product of Christ today. Let yourself move into that space. Cross over that line. If that's you today and you say, Tim, I need to make a decision to follow Jesus. I've been at a distance and I need to put the entirety of my life in that box. Would you quickly look up at me and lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you, awesome. Yeah, I got both of you guys there in the back. Hallelujah, right on bro. Yeah, both of you guys, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're gonna pray this simple prayer. You can pray it in your heart after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I look to the cross. It's in the cross that I find my forgiveness. It's in the cross that I find my salvation. It's in the cross that I find my freedom. I'm not looking back any longer. Help me to follow you from this day forward, to walk in your ways, Forgive me of my past, but help me not to go back there either. And may I be your disciple from this day forward till the moment I see you in heaven and you look me in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have all of me today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Come on, let's just thank God for every one of those lifted their hand, praying that prayer. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.